Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is Kyler Murray's personal errand boy, Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Your boy's about to get a big payday tomorrow. You excited? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for him. I, I hope he shares some of it with me, but even if not, I'll still be happy for him. There's, there's a chance he could end up on the Cardinals, so you, you'll have to be an Arizona fan now. Hmm. Well, we'll see. Okay. Well, if you want to email us, you can email us at podcast at romancircusblog.com. Find us on Twitter at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry, Z-A-C Mabry. Uh, what else do we got? Patreon, patreon.com slash Roman Circus Pod. Thanks to all the new patrons that have signed up. We're doing pretty good over there. It's fun to see. Uh, we are on iTunes. You can rate and review us if you want. We're also on Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play. All right, Zach. The world wants to know, what is the update on hashtag Free Britney? Where are we at on that? What are we looking like? Well, it's been, you know, a crazy few days. With mm-hmm. the, so the just, hate. Just, just to recap, Britney Spears, uh, we're all in agreement now. She's being held against her will. Uh, she's a grown woman who has no freedom, and we're all trying to get her, her freedom back. More or less. So, I mean, the, the the hashtag started after rumors spread that she'd been sent to a mental facility against her will and was basically mm-hmm. being held there. Right. Um, but it, you know, it quickly became more about the fact that her legal status for the last 11 years has been that she's under what's called the conservatorship, which means that she doesn't have any actual rights so she can't have a cell phone she can't vote she can't drive she can't sign a contract Mm -hmm. um because she's deemed mentally unfit to do these things um but at the same time she's somehow mentally fit to you know go on world tours and release albums Mm -hmm. and have a vegas residency and so it, it seems hard to say how can these both be true um and everybody that's kind of involved in the arrangement is gets paid for their involvement. You know, they, they basically work for it. So the concerts and the stuff, it all makes them money. Uh, so the movement was more of a, a point of, okay, this person should be able to make these decisions themselves, herself. Mm-hmm. So yeah. she posted a video. After all this has happened, it had been, you know, silence from her since, like, January. Uh, she posts a video on Instagram telling everybody that all is well and you know don't worry she's fine yeah very natural very uh very of her own will looking video Zach right I mean clearly you know I let I mean clearly a hostage video let's be honest Mm um you know allegedly of course you have to say that but um you know I mean I think I think most people are are still pretty worried uh, about what's what's happening, but they they have announced a new legal hearing next month to look at the uh, the conservatorship or the 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 situation she's in. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, she may actually get uh, her freedom in a month. Who knows? 
we're big we're big freedom people over here we we like it if we were in politics we would be part of the freedom caucus i don't even know what that is really but if it gets britney spears or freedom i'm in yeah i mean it, it is just weird though like to think okay you know this person is like a major tourist attraction in vegas and but like there's no way to actually know if she even wants to be doing those things like right I mean, it, it's just weird, the situation. So that's where, you know, interesting to follow. Yeah, we will be monitoring the situation. We should have asked uh, very, not our, our, very Not Our Lawyer. Um, our friend. Yeah, our friend, who's not our lawyer, um, Kyle Helmick, to uh, weigh in on the situation. I know, as you were talking about, uh, what, did, what did you say? What, conservatorship? Conservatorship, you- yeah. Yeah, as you were saying that, it was like, oh, that would have been a good thing for Kyle to talk about. Um, okay, we'll uh, we'll ask him. We'll ask him to get back to us on that. Um, okay, I have a I have a news story. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in. Usually, I not, I don't have the news, but but I have a news story that I'm very I want to talk about. Zach, we'll take it away. The sun. .co.uk. It's very reputable. They are known for all the correct journal- journalism. However you say journalism. it. Journalism. Journalism. They have an article that says handshakes could be banned under new workplace rules to avoid expensive sexual harassment claims. Okay, Employers could ban all forms of physical touch to avoid any gray areas. Now, I have two thoughts about this. You don't want any gray areas, so it's very important to ban all physical touch. No one no one needs to be touching anyone at all, okay? Ever. Right, ever. Second, it's about time someone stood up to handshakes, Zach, and really treated them like they needed to be treated, which is banned, never to return. I'm sorry, uh, it's 2019. No one needs to be shaking hands anymore. We're not carrying knives or poison. Uh, that that was handshakes. Handshakes should have been done away with shortly after what I don't know the 1700s. Whenever they were doing that stuff, 2019, no more handshakes. This is a thing I I feel very passionately about, as you can tell in my monotone, emotionless voice. Yeah. So, what do you have against them again? They're just weird. Everyone's always, like, going for handshakes or the double handshake or, like, trying to, like, power move you into, like, shaking it too hard. That's, I don't know. I just think handshakes are a dinosaur of the past. Much like dinosaurs never interacted with humans, handshakes should also never interact with humans. That's fair. I think that's appropriate. It's very a modest gesture, you know. You're, you're just your <laughs> your naked hands making contact with each other. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what. That's kind of my. That's my thoughts. It's you know everyone. Every we were letting handshakes run amok for so long. And yeah, it, you it's know out what, of if control. It, if it takes some wild thing like no one can ever touch anyone ever again to get rid of handshakes, I'm for it. I'm for it, Zach. Oh, sure. I mean, the realistically though, like they they do workshops and stuff where they teach people how to shake hands before uh, interviews and stuff. Right. I mean, it's wild. 
Yeah, if you if your whole if your whole future is riding on the interaction of one hand touching another, then we know it's gone too far. Now the in this article, uh, there's a there's a lady who she works for one of these firms. It's a HR consultant named Kate Palmer. Mm-hmm. And what I like about it, uh, she talks about how basically the Me Too movement has forced employers to think about implementing more black and white policies. And her quote is, she says that a handshake is probably safe. And I like, I just like the idea of not saying a handshake is mostly, most likely, usually always safe. It's, it's probably safe. I just appreciated that. Well, I mean, we've all had those people that they shake your hand too long, and you're like, mm-hmm. I would like my hand back, please. Thank yeah, you. Ex- excuse me, that belongs to me. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, that's my news thing. Handshakes, we're getting rid of them. They're out. You're mm-hmm. out of here, handshakes. You're <laughs> all right. What's, what do you got? One more thing here? Um, well, there was news about the Facebook. Oh, man. Okay. Yes. So they they posted their earnings. They're continuing to grow their revenue. They'll probably end up doing close to sixty billion dollars in revenue this year, mm-hmm. which is just crazy. Um, right. But they also announced that they're expecting a fine of anywhere from three to five billion dollars from the Federal Trade Commission due to privacy uh, violations. They didn't specify what those are. Okay. What can we what can we think like so we we willingly give them pictures of ourselves and let them know where we are at all times. So I wonder what the privacy like are they cuz they're probably listening in to everything we say. Well, it's like most things. So when it's free, it's because you are the product. So it's Ooh. it's free for you to use Facebook cuz you're providing what their product is, you know, your data, the stuff you like, your location, all those different things. And then mm-hmm. their customers are companies that want to sell you stuff so the customer comes in they purchase you know various information about you so they can send you very targeted ads um which is why you'll see jokes that'll be like you know don't mess with people who were born in florida but grew up in california and went to howard university um Mm -hmm. because you know all that stuff is in your profile um so i mean they do have a lot of information and I mean, I, I tend to just not be too optimistic about any kind of privacy protections out there. I, I assume everything that's out there is just out there to anyone who really wants it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could it, be wrong, but you know, hasn't happened yet. No, while I was while I was looking at the sun, I was or I was clicking. You on shouldn't articles. be looking at the sun, Matt. <laughs> yeah. That's so dangerous. I, yeah. Thank you. I was I was clicking around on articles on news and it was Newsweek and they one of their targeted ads was a picture of a thing that I was I was selling on eBay. So they were trying to target me with my own eBay things. Okay, that's well. Is that a little is that a little much? Here here we are, people. This is what what it's come to. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, we hope for the best. We hope that Mark Zuckerberg. You know, finds peace, and if he has to pay that much money, then you know we hope he gets it back somehow. Well, I mean, it comes from the company; they've got like forty billion in cash reserves, mm-hmm. and they okay, brought in well, first quarter of this year. They brought in fifteen billion, so I don't think they'll be hurting, even if they get yeah, the full five billion dollar fine. 
Okay, I think they'll be fine. All right, well, good work, team. So, Zach, the past few months are our best performing episodes, with all due respect to our other episodes, have been the two Intro the Latin Mass episodes we did. Um, actually, one of the, the first one is on track to become our highest listening, most listened, most downloaded episodes shortly. So Very nice. be fun. Um, and two is charging right behind it. So we thought whenever something works, you want to just squeeze it till you can squeeze it to death. So that's why we're going to do part three today. Yes. And talk uh, more about the mass. I mean, obviously it's kind of cheating to, uh, to you, you know, we're, we're leaning on 2000 years of sacred tradition uh, in talking about the mass. So um, it's no surprise to me that there's a lot of demand for that information. Yeah, we'll look to push. We'll look to push this series into part twenty, part thirty, part forty. We'll just keep it going. Uh, yes. So we went over the mass. Obviously, we went over what to look for when you're walking into the church. So I think a good thing to do would be to revisit some of the things maybe that are happening behind the scenes or some of the terms some of the names of what the actual things are because we didn't really get into that very much okay right so what i want to start with is uh one of the behind the scenes things before the mass in the sacristy the no the sacristy what's that it's a word zach oh you want me to actually say what the sacristy is Yes. Yeah, do that. Okay, the sacristy is the room in the church where the where the priest uh prepares for mass. It's where all like his vestments are kept. It's where uh some of the other materials that will be needed for mass are, but it's where the priest vests. Okay. okay. That's good. I didn't even think to define that term and here I was talking about terms. You got me. So uh, good. So in the sacristy uh, when the priest is preparing for mass so the way it's put is he is like a soldier of Christ donning his armor for battle okay which is pretty great but he go what he does is he goes through he as he places each piece of the vestment on he says a different prayer okay okay so I thought it'd be it'd be cool to say what say what the piece of the vestment is and then I will read the prayer that he says while he does it okay so the first the first thing he does is he places on the amos and the amos is a rectangular piece of fine linen and it is worn around the neck and the shoulders so this is one of the layers underneath that you don't that isn't actually visible during the mass. The priest places it for a moment on his head and then he allows it to rest upon his shoulders. It was originally a covering for the head and neck and it was worn like a hood, okay? Mhm. First of all, have you ever seen any of this, Zach? Have you uh have you been to like a private mass or a home mass or anything and seen the priest vest i i have seen it happen at a private mass that i was in my apartment a few years ago 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I was helping serve Mass last summer. Oh, um, right, right, right. And briefly, so, but I, you know, I wasn't too connected with what was happening, so I didn't know the specifics, but I, I did kind of see it going on. Okay. Okay. Uh, so the, pr- the prayer he says with the Amos is, Place, O Lord, on my head the helmet of salvation, so that I may resist the assaults of the devil. So this is this is his helmet going into battle. Nice. Next is the alb. The alb is a fine linen tunic reaching to the feet, covering the whole body. It symbolizes the purity of the Christian soul having been washed in the blood of the lamb. And we've all seen the alb. The uh the alb is fairly known i would say while he puts this on he says make me white O lord and cleanse my heart that being made white in the blood of the lamb i may deserve an eternal reward well i mean still, let's still describe the alb for the folks listening i thought it, it i thought i did it's the white the wide white linen tunic is there other is there something else to describe oh no i just thought tunic was like nondescript um okay but let me, I'm I'm, an, I'm looking at a picture real fast because I'm like, I think I know what that is, but then again, I'm like, do I? Mm-hmm. Do I? Um, let's see. How would you describe it? There some some are are all white, and some have these can have patterns on them too. But it's oh okay it, yeah you, like a lot of times you'll see, see this what the altar server wears. Yeah, so that's the altar servers wear these sometimes mm-hmm. um and but then um you also see these like the end of them will be lace and that'll be what's hanging out the that you can actually see um even though it's all covered except basically the lace or if you know if you see the white uh sleeves kind of sticking out at the end mm-hmm. right yeah we've got now, thunder going on here so i don't know if, if that's making it through into the audio but it's actually <laughs> Thunderstorming. I heard it. That's pretty awesome. Next up, the cincture. Now, this is what goes over the alb, and it is, or it's also called a girdle, and it is the cord of linen that is goes around the waist to basically confine the alb to hold the alb in, so it's not all flowy and and running everywhere. And it is also a symbol of chastity, Zach. You familiar with this cincture? You seen this cincture? Oh yes, yeah. The mm-hmm. you know tied around the waist. Right. I. This the prayer that he says while putting on the cincture is gird me, O Lord, with the cincture of purity, and quench in my heart the fire of concupiscence, that the virtue of continence and chastity may abide in me. So concupiscence, as we have said previously, is one of the appetites that tag the lower emotions and uh yeah it's the it's the desire for things of the flesh yes i think it was wasn't it saint Thomas that there was an apparition from an angel that tied a cincture around his waist and then pulled it tight and there was he said he felt this intense pain but then after that he never had another temptation against purity it sounds about right it I don't remember the actual say they I 
I would believe it if he said St. Thomas. So he he seems like a good candidate for that. But yeah, that would uh, that would do it. If there's an angel that ties it around your waist, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure you're good to go. Nice. Okay. Yeah. The manipole, Zach. That's next up on our, on our list. I the manipole might be one of my favorite things and what goes into the manipole. Okay. The manipole is a band of silk and is worn on the left arm. It was originally a small towel or a handkerchief worn over the arm like a servant might carry. It is a symbol of servitude and of the cares of this world and represents our Lord's passion. So the manipole goes over the left arm and one of the thing there are a few things actually I'll read the prayer first, then we can go into it. May I deserve, O Lord, the bear to bear the maniple of weeping and sorrow in order that I may joyfully reap the rewards of my labor. So the maniple goes over the left arm. What I like it you'll see in the Latin Mass that before the priest goes to give the homily, he removes the maniple and places it on the altar over over um Man, I'm totally losing over the book. So on uh, the missile, yeah. R- yeah, the missile, and uh, so that basically, as it was explained to me, is that he it temporarily shows like a pause in the mass for the homily, and then when the homily is over, the priest will go back up and will put the maniple on and will resume the rest of the mass. Yes, and so yeah, this is that like. Y- Sometimes you don't even notice it, but it's basically the the hanging down droopy thing on the left mm-hmm. arm. The, right. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of think about like a, you know, a, a butler or, or waiter with a towel over his arm. It, it like you said, it sort of evolved out of that. But it's yeah, it's there, and they're usually um, really nicely made and interesting to look at. Right. The other thing I like about the maniple, I said there were two things, so I didn't want to forget that, is the maniple pin. There. It, and I don't know if there is still a pin or it, if it is required, but there's a, I think there there would have to be, but there's a pin in the maniple, and the purpose of that pin is, one, to hold the maniple together, but if, say that uh, the wine has been consecrated into the blood, and then something happens to get into the chalice... Okay, like a fly or something like that. Mm-hmm. The the maniple pin you can actually use the pin to stick the fly, so that way it doesn't fly off with the precious blood on it. And then sometimes there's a bowl on the altar off to the side where you can put that pin in the bowl. And then afterwards, I mean, you if you want, I guess you can consume the fly, but in places where it's much more risky to do that. I mean, it's never good to consume the fly, but you can take the pin and hold it over the flame of one of the candles on the altar and basically roast the fly. Oh, okay, so it gets burnt up reverently. Yeah. Okay. And so in in countries like, uh, so in Los Angeles, the pastor of the... country. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In in Los Angeles, the pastor of St. Vitus is from Australia. Don't hold it against him. Uh, so he would say, he would say like, 
I think he told me once, like on the outback or in places like that where you're wor- legitimately worried about frogs jumping into the chalice. That's why the chalice has the cover, obviously, but you can also use these pins and things to, if you need to, basically catch anything that gets in into the business. So that's what's that's what I found cool about the maniple pin. That is cool. Thanks. See, All right. The church, it's like the liturgy's already thought of everything. Frogs, flies... Mm-hmm. Creatures, all of it. Frogs, flies, oh my. The stole, Zach. The stole is the next thing on the list. Yes. The stole so is a long one. Oh, it's, sorry. Ooh, ooh. Sorry. Okay. Terribly sorry. <laughs> we're going to cut that and... We're, yeah, we're going to cut that and everything else. The stole is a long band of silk of the same width and color as the maniple, but three times its length. The priest wears it around the neck and crossed on the breast, and it represents immortality. So, you, this is the the prayer is restore to me, O Lord, the state of immortality, which I lost through the sin of my first parents. And although unworthy to approach Thy sacred mysteries, may I ne- may I deserve, nevertheless, eternal joy. So that is the stole. And so, yeah, you, the stole, um, the chasuble, which we'll talk about next, the stole is more visible it, on the priest who is not wearing the chasuble. So you'll see it crossed, and um, you'll see it on the deacon and the subdeacon as well. That's that's where it's more likely seen. So Yeah, and a lot of times you'll see, like, protestant ministers wear these or the the sort of um the fake women priests they tend to wear these externally like they'll have it hanging over their neck kind of Mm -hmm. like a scarf that just isn't tied Mm -hmm. yeah they love it it makes them feel important zach but yeah it's uh, very important mm -hmm. so that's the stole moving on as i already said is the chasuble this means little house zach did you know that I didn't. And it is the outer and chief vestment of the priest. It is usually usually ornamented with a large cross on the back and sometimes on the front of the garment. It symbolizes the yoke of Christ. The prayer is, O Lord, who has said, My yoke is sweet and my burden light, grant that I may so carry it as to merit thy grace. Yeah, so with the chasubles, um the backs a lot of times are very, uh, I don't know what you call it, ornate, decorative. Ornate, They're very, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Because, you know, that's pretty much what you're looking at throughout the main points of the Mass, because, you know, the priest is facing the same direction you're facing, and, and he's in front of you. Um, so, you know, there's the priests at our parish, they have ones that have Our Lady of Guadalupe on the back, they have ones that have, um, you know a lamb for the lamb of God, you know, kind of different, different things there. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's also two different styles of these. So there's the Roman chalcibles, which are the ones that I'm used to seeing in our parish are, um, for lack of a better term, they're almost like sandwich board style. Like they've got, they go over the shoulders, they've got the front piece and the back piece. Um, and they, you know, that's how they go. But there's right. also the Gothic chasubles, which um, some parishes use, which are more like the, they're just standard robes. I mean, they've got sleeves and they, they kind of cover everything. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which one? Which one is a Cardinal Burke he comp examples? Cardinal Burke. I'm assuming he probably wears Roman chalcibles, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Um, Just sitting up there on his throne, looking so comfortable. It's really, it really is goals, Zach. It's what we all should strive to be. I know when you see him like in deep prayer, it's mm-hmm. always um. You always think like, I wish I could pray that deeply. Yeah, I mean, I, I I ran a quick Google, and he does tend to wear Roman chalcibles. But there's some pictures of him it looks like in wearing Gothic ones. So. He he's a, he's a man that spans the genres. He's a genre spanner. He's very versatile. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the chasuble. Uh, the other vestments, the these don't have prayers. These are just the additional ones. So the the common garment of the priest is the cassock, uh, spelled cassock, cassock. Uh, mm-hmm. It's usually black to signify that they are dead to the world. However, the color may depend on their religious order or status in the church hierarchy. Uh, so these, yeah, these are just you know, if you see the priest out and about there in their the black garment, that's called the cassock. Um, and there's the cope. Uh, you when you see the priest wearing a garment, it's it's during benediction he'll have it. It's like a flowing robe, and the large scarf he uses to grip the monstrance is called the humeral veil. So yes, uh, sorry, what were you going to say? Um, well, a lot of times you'll see the cope too at the beginning of mass during the asperges. the The priest, the the celebrant, will have the the cope on mm-hmm. for that part, and then it will be removed um, for oh. the actual the rest of the, of the liturgy. Okay, so when he's proce- proce- processing in, I almost couldn't yes. say that word. I'm having trouble getting words out today. It's all right. We're you know we'll persevere. When he's processing in, that's what. So the cope is what he's wearing. Is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, there's um. Sorry, one thing I'll just real quick add. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, a sort of I don't know what you'd call it. For some reason, it's controversial. But there's these sort of more elaborate copes. Um, have a long uh, train behind them, which is called a capa mania. Um, so you'll you'll see these. There's an amazing video of. It's actually the, the former Bishop of Tulsa um, mm-hmm. offering a, a pontifical mass a few years back, and it, he uh, processes in with this um, just amazing capa mania. Um, but yeah, these are the long, flowy trains. Um, for whatever reason, they're, uh, they're controversial because I think it's just seen as being too much... You know, I mean, Capamania means literally great cape. Right. Um, and it, it's I say very, right. I didn't know that. I was just, you know, conf- actively confirming, but sure. Right. Um, and they they actually shortened them in the 50s yeah. from 15 meters to 7 meters. Wow. That was, a, that was very long. I was going to say, I thought you were going to tell me that it was controversial because Capamania sounds like a rapper for the Wu-Tang Clan, but... Uh, <laughs> something completely different so right um (laughs) you know it's um 
the, I guess the other thing is, I don't think they're even supposed to wear them uh, in Rome. Like, it's only certain places. Like, I guess the Pope can probably wear them in Rome. But um, yeah, when so in Rome, Cardinal Zach? is has been photographed, has been seen using this um, Bishop Slaughter, the, or Bishop Slattery, the former Bishop of Tulsa. Um, you know, and they they are very lovely, and they they symbolize martyrdom, and they're um, they're great. It's it's just one of those things that some people just kind of don't like. I mean, a lot of times the the beauty and the attention that we put towards our worship of God um, is very frustrating to people, mm-hmm. uh, including you know from um, you know straight from Scripture. I mean, Judas was always kind of saying, you know, shouldn't we be spending this money on the poor, mm-hmm. yada yada, and so um, the some of these elaborate vestments are. That's where some of the criticisms will come from, and then you've even seen that with um, you know with the fire at Notre Dame, people um, complaining about the amount of money that rebuilding are the church, to restore the yeah, church, yeah. right? Right, and you know there's people that are like shouldn't that money be given to this or that and. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just kind of a lack of understanding about the importance of worshiping God and sacred space and, you know, how these things, you know, work. Um, yeah, I was so. I was going to say not we don't not to at all talk about how to dress for mass. But if the priest goes through all this, it's just something for us to remember when we get ready too, Right. So we we may not have as many layers and as many things to put on, but we can at least if take take some care to on how we prepare for the mass as well so that that's that uh did you want to go over some of the names of the linens and the vessels that are up on the altar the stuff up there the that's the that's the technical term i was going to dumb it down a little bit from the stuff up there yes i mean so you've got the sacred vessels they all have names and they're they're interesting names and they kind of help you understand the actions being taken so um mm-hmm. yeah let's uh let's roll into that so the first thing let's talk about uh the sprinkling what's known as the sprinkling rite or the asperges may mm-hmm. it is uh so what's that little what's that little tankard that holds the water zach do you know the name of that thing that is the aspersorium oh wow what a what a guy so the aspersorium that that is the the uh, thing that holds the water and the the magic wand that sprinkles the water. What's that called? The uh, the the wand. That's the uh, aspergellum. Aspergellum, exactly. So he'll he next time next time you're at the mass and you see him do that, you can really impress the person next to you and whip out those two names. I always think about how in uh, one of the Fatima visions, there was an angel with a aspergellum and he was flinging blood. And it's like, man, yeah. yeah, that's a, so just <laughs> okay. be glad that when you go to mass, it's water. I know. Uh, one time at the Newman center at Arizona state university, when I was going there, it was, it was a wild and crazy place back when I was going there. It's cleaned up. It's act a lot, which is nice, but they instead of it, instead of the wand, they the priest actually used like a branch from a tree. Have you seen this? 
I've never seen it. I'm gonna yeah, it's wild. <laughs> yeah, it's wild, and water just goes everywhere. It's a me- it's a mess. Okay, so moving on. I think I did see something like that once. They yeah. it was something. I don't remember what the what it was, but it was mm. something other than an aspergillum. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, let's move on to the thurible. I think we all know the thurible, Zach. Uh, the reason I wanted to talk about the thurible that is the vessel for the incense. You know that you that you ra- they gets raised up and they get put the grains and the incense in there and it starts to smoke. Uh, the reason I yeah. wanted to ta- talk about it is because you know the thing that where the frankincense is stored. Do you know what that is called? Because uh, the name is I think the name is amazing. No. It's just instead of it doesn't have some like wild Latin name or some like some name that just I can't pronounce. It's just called the incense boat. That's all it is. The incense boat. Wow, that's about as creative as like fireplace. <laughs> right. No, come to think of it, I never thought how completely simple the idea of calling something the fireplace is. Right, you have like your garage, which is where your car goes, but then just fireplace for mm-hmm. for that. Well, we do have you. You ever there are carports? Those are not. Those are don't have. Those aren't garages. Those are just ports for your car. True. So yeah. True. Um. So all right. At the risk of you know offending people, let's we we don't need to talk about the chalice or the patent. Uh. Let's talk about some of the like the linens and some of the other things. So like the pall. There's a thing called a pall, P A L L, and that is the it's a stiffly starched square of linen which is used to cover the chalice to prevent dust or other matters from falling into it. So when you when the priest places something over the chalice, that's obviously to like it says you see it and you know it's placed on there to protect things from falling in that's the pall um there's an there's an episode of scrubs where michael j fox is on there and he has he has a major ocd and they're out at a bar and he keeps trying to put coasters on the top of his drink and they keep falling off and he keeps having to do it again and order new drinks so when you next time you see that if you've ever watched that episode you can think of that as his makeshift uh, bar coaster oh. Paul. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm just trying to, you know, uh, bring some of these yeah, terms. Really, to drive it home. I'm really trying to drive it home. Exactly. Uh, the chalice veil is square cloth made of the same fabric as the priest vestments and will cover the sacred vessels until the offertory and after the ablutions. So this is when you, when you see the priest, uh, after and after communion, you know when they're cleaning every, cleaning all and purifying all the vessels, uh, and you see them place the giant piece of linen over that. That is the chalice veil, and it's more. There's in the low mass, the priest will walk in with the with the vessels, and he will walk out with them. So it's kind of you can kind of see these more clearly, I guess, instead of having them up there already for the high mass. Um, mm-hmm. There is the corporal, and the corporal is stated as the most important of all the sacred linens. 
for the body and blood of our Lord will rest upon it, and any small particles will be safely enclosed within to be properly purified later. So it's the square of linen. It has a cross embroidered on the center, and that is the thing that is put down first. Everything that is on the corporal, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, everything that is on the corporal is what will be consecrated. So if there, if there is a chalice, but it is off the corporal, then that nothing in that chalice is consecrated. Um, I, I'm not sure on that. Okay. I thought that was told to me once that way. If we have any priests listening, they can correct us on that. Uh, yeah, but we will the, fact check that. Right. The other thing about the corporal is there is a special way to fold it to make sure to really drive home the point of no crumbs getting out. So if there are any crumbs on the corporal, then you you, you don't want to just pick it up and just kind of throw it off to the side because then the crumbs will go anywhere, right? Right. So, you don't just give it a quick, you know, shake. Give it a quick one-two. So, yeah, there's yeah. The, the priest has a special way of folding it to assure that there's no way any of the crumbs can get out. All right. So the when the corporal is folded, it is placed inside of a square folder, and that square folder is called the burse. And that like when you purse. like purse, it's a purse but for bros, it's a burse. Uh it's placed atop all the other vessels. So when they when everything is cleaned and purified, and everything is placed back together. This is what will go on. Uh, this is what will go on top of all those during a solemn mass. You will see the the uh, the bursts. You'll you'll see off to the side. You'll see them kind of holding it open and walking it towards the altar. That's the bursts. I think they don't. They look. Aren't they like it's it's opened towards them? So like they're basically looking inside of it. I think so. I mean, it, you know, it's kind of like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example of what it looks like. I mean, you know, it's, it's like a, an envelope almost. <laughs> a very fancy Catholic envelope. So that's what the corporal is placed in afterwards. So then you have this, uh, you have this nice little stack afterwards of the chalice and then the patent, it go, it'll, the chalice will be on. And then there's the purificator is the linen cloth that is folded atop of the chalice. Then the patent is placed on top of that. And then the pall is placed on the patent. The chalice veil covers all of it. The corporal is folded and placed into the burse. And then the burse is placed on the chalice veil. That's the that's yes. the run through. You guys ready for that? Can you repeat that? Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, and you know an important thing about the chalice is that it should be made of you know precious metal. Um, mm-hmm. There is kind of an unfortunate occurrence where you'll see these made from either glass or even worse wood. Um, right. Oh yeah, woods woods really bad because anything can get stuck in the in in those crevices. Right. Um, but with uh, for the most part, I think that's been clamped down on. Yeah, so, so our, you'll usually see they're made of precious metal. 
the Diocese of Phoenix went through that phase. And I remember because I was an altar boy. And one of the things was we, like, we had the the glass ciboriums and they told us not to stack them on each other because they will crack. Uh, but I think when Bishop Bishop Olmstead came in and I think cleaned all that up, I I can't confirm that, but in my mind he did. I like to give him credit for it. Uh, yeah, is it is the reason we don't use glass is just because it's just a nothing. It can break easily and it just is not, there's nothing special about it. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we're we're talking about, you know, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of, of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it should be a, you know, something, it is something precious, and we should, you know, show that by having, you know, precious metals right. uh, to hold it in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Similarly, so. you said the word cyborium. That's basically the, the it, it's like a chalice, but it's sort of where all of the hosts go. Right, yeah. And it has a lid, so they can put it in the tabernacle after Mass. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or so, well after communion. Yeah, so that's that's that. So those are basically the different things that you'll see um, at the Mass. Be, you know, you'll notice everything's very elaborate as far as what the priest is wearing and what's on the altar. And so that's where it can be interesting to learn the significance and the name of each thing. A lot of it um, is extremely practical on one hand, but then also carries with it a bunch of um, symbolic meaning as well. But you'll kind of notice that they, they've sort of thought of everything as far as, you know, if a piece of the host falls or, you know, if this needs to be cleansed or, you know, each different thing, um, it, there's something there which kind of makes it elaborate. Mm-hmm. So zooming out from a particular mass, um, you know, this all happens in the context of the liturgical year. Now, we've done an episode in the past kind of talking about that, but I thought we could, uh, you know, talk about it again because it, um, well, it's a new liturgical year since we talked about it last, so yeah, it seems, our, seems our, most appropriate. Our audience has just infinitely, exponentially grown. Right. Not grown exactly. as in G-R-O-A-N, as they groan, but they have also grown grown grow in all the above <laughs> grown um so yeah so the current season that we're in is easter um mm. it began on easter sunday and it will continue for 50 days right which is pretty cool um when it ends we move into pentecost so the the big thing in easter is that the uh, ascension thursday will happen um, when our Lord ascends into heaven, and then the following fall, not the Sunday after, but the Sunday after that, is Pentecost, um, which is, you know, the nine days between the ascension and the coming of the Holy Ghost, which is, in fact, the very first novena. Oh, wow. Which is why we have novenas of nine days. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Right. So then we, we roll into... Um, Pentecost and the time after Pentecost is is the liturgical season um, that finishes out the year. So that will be everything will kind of be numbered off of that. You know, first Sunday after Pentecost, second Sunday after Pentecost, mm-hmm. um, all the way down through the line. What a very there what a very really, ordinary numbering system, Zach. Sure, totally. It's very just uh, everything about that is completely ordinary. 
Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so during that time, though, there are some really important feasts that happen. You know, during the summer, you have things like the Feast of the Sacred Heart, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, um, things like that. And then, of course, um, Feast of the Assumption will happen in August. At the end of October, beginning of November, you'll have Christ the King, um, and then All Souls and All Saints. You know, lots of uh, important things happen. And then, it, you know, four Sundays before Christmas, we start back with Advent. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the flow. There are seven liturgical seasons. So yeah, like we said, we're currently in Easter. That'll be followed by Pentecost, slash time after Pentecost. Um, there'll be Advent, uh, Christmas, the season, um, Epiphany, and the time after Epiphany. And then you'll have uh, Lent, Septuagesima, which is like yep. pre-Lent, and then Lent. There it is. Yeah, your seven seasons. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Yes. I don't know what that meant, um, if that even fits whatsoever. Well, I mean, I guess that's true. It is because, like, you do, you know, the longer that you are going to Mass and, you know, living this stuff out, the more it does kind of, you know, as these feasts repeat, it's the time to kind of look at where your life was the previous year, you know. Mm-hmm. And it it is neat to think, okay, well, this Easter, what was last Easter? And, um, you know, because it's a one-year cycle, you kind of have the opportunity to do that throughout the year. One of my favorite reoccurring things on this podcast is where I say something that doesn't make sense and you artfully and skillfully manipulate it into something that makes some semblance of sense. You know, it's it's not it's not an easy job, but I do it with joy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Shall we have a saint of the week? Yes, let's hear it. All right. I got another doctor of the church coming at you, St. Peter Canatius, renowned Dutch Jesuit Catholic priest. His feast day is uh, April 27th. He was born in, in the Netherlands in 1521 and died in Switzerland in, in 1597. Beatified in 1864 by Pope Pius IX and canonized uh, May 21st, 1925 by Pope Pius XI. His major shrine is at the College. That's my boy. That's your boy. (laughs) Major shrine is at the College of Saint Michael in Switzerland. He is a patron of the Catholic press and of Germany. So. His great thing is he lived during the height of the Protestant Reformation and dedicated much of his work to the clarification of the Catholic faith in light of the emergence of the new Protestant doctrines, which is great. So he was boots on the ground, basically. Uh, his lasting contribution were three catechisms, which he published published in Latin and German and became widespread and popular in Catholic regions. In his fight with German Protestantism, he requested much more flexibility from Rome, arguing, and this is, his, this is his quote, If you treat them right, the Germans will give you everything. Many err in matters of faith, but without arrogance. They err the German way, mostly honest, a bit simple-minded, 
but very open for everything Lutheran. An honest explanation of the faith would be much more effective than a polemical attack against reformers. He rejected attacks against John Calvin. With words like these, we don't cure patients, we make them incurable. So he was, he, he took it on to confirm the Catholic faith and trying to do it without beating people over the head. So apparently he did something good because he's a saint and a doctor of the church now. Well, there you go. He uh, also, the there's a college. It's in- interesting to think that back then dissident Germans were, were not considered arrogant, you know, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, interesting yeah. times. Uh, there's a Canisius college in Buffalo, New York named after him. So. They once, they once, uh, when I was in high school, their basketball team came to our high school and practiced in our gym, and then got Whoa. blown, and then got blown out by Arizona State. So there you go. That's uh, that is Saint Peter Canatius. All right, Zach. Well, uh, before we wrap it up, I know you're a huge Marvel fan. Do you have a bunch of uh, Avengers and game spoilers for us? Um, I've none. Have you? When, so it's what, interesting how much how much money they're spending on that. Um, you know that could be going to poverty and the poor right. and yeah, right, you know, right, all these right. things. How dare they? They're they're outspending the Notre Dame rebuild by a significant amount of money. Anyway, have you? What was the last Marvel movie you saw? Have you seen any of them? Uh, Civil War. I don't even remember when that was. Was that like four years ago? Three years ago? It was a, it was a moment ago. It was a quick. I liked it though. It was a hot second ago. Yes. Yeah. It was at the same time that that movie Pop Star was out. Okay. Because I read the description. Of, we were we were going to see Pop Star, and I read the description. And was like, guys, we're not going to see this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we we went to Civil War. So you went to go just give money to the Disney machine, huh? Of course. Yeah, a lot of us have done it. Have done it. Uh, April twenty sixteen, May twenty sixteen. That's when Civil War came out. So there you go. There it is. All right. Well, thanks for listening, gang. Uh, let us let us know what you think. If there's anything in the Latin Mass that we should explain further, I'm sure we'll pop out of Part 4 at some point. But until then, we'll talk to you next week. All right. See you, everybody. See you.